Let's just check your level if you just. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Testing. Good. Beautiful. All right. Okay. So you're listening to NYC Radio Live. David Ellenbogen here. I am really honored. Glad you took the time. I've wonderful to spend time with uh, the force in music and nature, William Parker. How you feeling? Thank you. Feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice Monday morning. It is. It's a beautiful day. Um. I maybe you'll appreciate this. I I I got your book and I put it in my bag and um we're part of a music collective called Brooklyn Raga Massive. Yeah. And I was elected the artistic director and someone thought it was a good idea that I would go to the APAP conference. So I went to this conference in the Hilton and uh I was a little shocked to see the inner workings, the, the gears of the, of the mechanisms of, of, the, of the music industry. And when I got on the subway and cracked open your book, I mean, it was like reading fire on fire because it was like, it was the opposite of, of anything that anybody was talking about there in terms of intentionality, in terms of the relationship of, of about what music is. So, I mean, I loved to hear uh, what you wrote and, and your ideas about the the original role of, of the musician, you know, as you imagine or understand it. Well, um, the image of, of, of uh, putting where sound transforms into tone and is deal and sort of uh, moves into the healing aspect of uh, of music. Now, uh, when I was very young, I was reading uh, Plato, uh, uh, Dialogues of Socrates, and there's one called uh, Ion, if I'm not mistaken, and it has to do with kinetic kineticism and whether virtue is something that comes from divination or is something that can be learned. And this gave me, and so they're, they're, they're talking back and forth. So um, Ion comes back and from a poetry festival and he says, oh, I just came back from a poetry festival and uh, I won all the awards reciting Homer. And uh, so they talk a little bit more, and he says, well, if you can recite Homer, you must be able to recite all the other poets. And he says, no, when I recite Homer, um, I become 10 feet tall, and my voice becomes melodious, and I uh, just am magnificent. But when I recite the other poets, I have no skill in that. So basically, he's saying, I have no skill in this at all. It, and so they talk some more, and they're winding it down to saying that, ending up that it comes from kineticism or mag rings to a magnet, metal rings, and how the magnetic force is, is passed through. And this guy who could, who could recite Homer very well and didn't have any skill in any other poets, they said, well, it comes from divination, is that it comes through you. And then uh, if you sort of segue into Miles Davis and, uh, or other jazz musicians who, I, when I was younger, you, uh, you go up to a musician and the guy just played the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ballad in the world. And you say, Mr. So-and-so, uh, I love your music. Um, you, play, you play beautifully. And um, they turn around and they go, <laughs> and I'm saying, And I'm saying like, whoa, what is that about? I said, this guy is like very, 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 magnificent when he plays the trumpet, when he plays the saxophone, but when he takes it out of his mouth, he's not that magnificent. So I'm saying, well, it's like 
he must, it must be coming through him. It's not him. It's like he's a conduit. When he picks up the trumpet, certain things connect, and boom, the beauty comes out. And so, the, so that idea transferred to the idea of, uh, well, how did that begin? And, and it begins with, okay, everyone is singing in the village, and it just becomes part of the day. You know, you bring in your fishing nets and you're singing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone begins to sing a bit higher than the group, and then a bit higher and a bit higher. And that particular night, someone who's ill is brought down to listen to the singing. And this person's been ill for a long time. And the, and the higher this one person sings, there's movement in the ill person. The person begins to move, begins to get off her sickbed and dance. So this person who sings higher than the group has now come to some kind of transformation. Something's come through this person and it sticks. It doesn't go away the next day or the next day or the next day. And the next time they sing, she does it again, and she does it again, she does it again. And every time she does it, she learns something about doing it and what's being done. And um, after a while, this person becomes what we call the shaman or bringing the, the creative muse and the idea of physician, healer together, muse physician, equal musician and and that's how it began and this person could put up a shingle and say now I'm the village musician the village healer and theoretically if okay if you had a uh, a stomach ache and you go to the to the village healer and say well I have a stomach ache can you help me and uh, the village healer would say okay this is a stomach ache rhythm you play this rhythm three times a day, and your stomach ache will go away. This is a headache melody. So they play the headache melody. And so that certain melodies, certain sounds related to the body and related to putting blood in areas, vibrating a certain way, which again would uplift you. And then if you look at when you're feeling bad and down, and you play your, your, your favorite pop song, whether it could be the corniest music according to everybody else in the world, but nobody can tell you that. When you put, on, you put that person on, you feel better. You feel better because you've been uplifted a little bit. And that's, and, and that's on a low level. Now, you can imagine where uh, I always said, like when uh, way John Coltrane started you know most horn players had to like play two sets to to get where he was playing uh, i remember when uh is jack was it um well i won't mention the drummer but it was a drummer played with miles davis and i and miles davis it was tony williams and miles davis and train were were sharing a bill and elvin jones didn't show up and tony williams was asked to play with coltrane and so Tony played with Train, and then afterwards he said his whole body was sore from playing a set with Train. He said, that never happened with Miles because Train was taking him to another level. So it's, it's again, it's being able to vibrate sound into tone, and tone um, is where sound becomes functionable. It, it becomes uh, the, 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 the nutrients in the sound can come out when it becomes tone. And that's why when you see, you hear Coleman Hawkins, before rhythm, before melody, before anything, just the sound of that horn. Oh, feels good already. Starting to sound good. You know, you're, you're ill on, you're not feeling well. The doctor comes in and has a melodious voice and says, hey, we're gonna make you feel better, don't worry. You felt, you felt better already, you know. While if a doctor comes in and he's got a scratchy voice and you know, like you're not feeling too good, so so just the idea that you come to the conclusions that music has a purpose, and the the idea of music, and whatever level, is to uplift 
and uh, and heal people and and allow you to to activate all your senses so you can see into another area of consciousness. And it happens with all kinds of music, whether uh, you were listening to you know Stevie Wonder or listening to Sun Ra. On some night, people always break through to that level where the, where people just it just loses it, you know, in gospel music, in folk music from around the world. And uh, the idea is that some people every night they lose it mm. because they're aware of what they're doing in that and they want to go there. They want to lose it every night. They don't want to be in control. They want, they want it to, 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 to go to that area where they're not in uh, responsible for anything, but they're flowing with a higher consciousness. And um, so that's kind of a, a takeoff point or, or a goal, if you can get there. You know, not everybody can get there because you, 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 there's this thing of control, and and um, and you want to be controlling the music, and it's like you know trying to control a hurricane or control the rain or the sunshine. You know, music is the same way. I mean, a part of a composer is to not control the music, but to allow the music to flow, and um, because you say, well, music is is much higher than me so why should I why would I want to control it why would I want to control how these flowers grow you know and, and or where they're placed in nature it's a natural it's perfection you know what I can do is kind of follow it and let it be itself and I think that's where um, uh, we can really be one with uh, with the universe and uh, is by by flowing with it not uh, trying to control it. When I was um, uh, in junior high school, I guess, the junior high school, when uh, you know you'd follow politics, and the president was always going, "Is that is doing the Viet?" It was high school during the Vietnam War, and uh, you know the president would always go to Camp David. And then I, I was looking, I was saying, "Man, these guys go to the country and they're down there to the mountains and the trees." On the weekend, then on Monday, let's drop some bombs. Boom, 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 boom. So I'm saying, like, they would just spend a weekend in nature, and 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 on Monday they drop bombs. And I figured the reason was is that they think they own nature. The nature is for them. The mountains are for them. The trees are for them. And they, they no connection with it. You go to someone's house, they have beautiful original paintings. And then on Monday they go to work and they cheat people and evict people from their houses because they work at banks on Wall Street. They do things because beauty and art doesn't affect them because they don't understand what it's there for. They look at it as, oh, I have a, a Picasso. I have a, a famous painter's painting. That's money. That's an investment. You know, I go to the country because I can, and I, the country was built for me. And the prisons are built for everybody, for, you know, for, for, for these people. And these people are street people. And these people go to Kmart and Walmart and, and support this, this, this company. And, and then there's the whole third world, Africa and Far East Asia and South America and poor people all over the world who I just, you know, don't care about. So... I think, uh, and, and partly I think that's why art is not taught and because it has an effect on people. And if you, and if you really want to control the world, you keep them away from music. Keep them, you know, just, just create uh, pop music and, and, and entertainment and uh, so they don't think and they don't really get to the deeper parts of their insides and deeper parts of the universe. Yeah, I was kind of curious about what you thought were kind of the the mechanisms that that stop music from reaching this potential that or it's it's original nature. Money. See the the again, you know, you have two things. You have entertainment 
or as a saxophone Will Connell used to say, inner inner attainment. And um, you have it's not even thinking so much like we want people to read a book and think, is that feel. And the idea is that wow, if if you if you really feel, when they go, you get your draft notice, you say, I'm not going. I'm not going to kill anybody, you know. Uh, I don't believe in, you know, and and or like if someone steals your horse, and you had this all all the time, American Westerns, you know, we hang horse thieves. It's no like, oh, he sold my horse. Okay, maybe he needed the horse. He can have it. I've got like 35 horses, or the idea of okay, well, I forgive him. You know, why do we have to shoot somebody that's done us wrong? But then that's the way our culture is, is that we, we, we don't forgive, we don't uh, have any compassion for anybody. Um, it's like revenge-based society. It's like I'm the best in the world society. It's, um, so then, then you begin to, to add these things up and you say, wow, like, they keep talking about patriotism. Well, patriotism is basically defined as the love of injustice. Because that's all it's about, you know. Because uh, everything is is just off. It's, it's, it's off, way off center. So um, you have to keep not the thinking, but the feeling. You don't want people to to feel. You know, people can be intellectual because people like you. Because intellectual is just is just in like a tunnel. It's 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 in a it's in a behind universities um, and someone, you know, you have, it's a whole system of academia, of PhDs, and uh, if you're really smart, you know, the, you know, as soon as you invent a weapon or a chemical weapon that can kill millions and billions of people, you destroy it immediately if you're so smart, you know. If it's you know if it's if it's because why invent something or even go there even if it's by mistake you immediately say this is not good for humanity, and then the idea is like well well I can have these weapons but you can't because I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy, and it's like no, nobody should have them, and we shouldn't even, you know nobody should have them you, you you have all these kids that have to grow up why would you want to have poisonous you know, snakes in the classroom or in the world or, or it just doesn't make any sense. But we don't, we, but we don't think that way because uh, we're, again, capitalists and, and our, it's all about money, 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 money. And I think there's a song called that. <laughs> uh, so that's how it's sort of geared now. And then people who want to talk about compassion and justice and spirituality, they're off to the side and they have their community uh, because that's what they think. You have to be in your community so you can feed and commune with people who, who think like you. But as a whole, uh, the goal of, of um, at least in America, has, has never really been to promote. And uh, it used to be, you know, there used to be music in, in, in in all the junior high schools and high schools. And then they just said, it's not necessary. Let's cut the budget. The first thing they cut is not only music, but they cut education. And education, a result of, and, and then redefining what education is, is, you know, as the first thing you learn when you go to school, the first thing they taught us is that George Washington never told a lie. I said, wow, really? <laughs> You know, and then later on you sign like George Washington owned slaves. George Washington, you know, Christopher Columbus was not a hero. And to this day, no, as, as many people will not address just the idea of, of taking uh, Columbus Day off the calendar because they just can't, you know, red, white, and blue, they just can't believe it that, that he's not a hero. And you can, you can state a case uh, you know, but he still discovered America. Well, it's like he, he didn't discover America, and um, he 
you know, was um, uh, he was way off base, and, and there were a group of indigenous people living here. So there's an agenda, you know, because you can imagine if, if everyone was uh, listening to all kinds of music. See, America is a melting pot that never melted. Mm. If you ride the subways, you'll have people from China, Korea, Vietnam, Poland, Russia, uh, England, Columbia, South South Carolina, (laughs) Columbia, South America as well, from all over the world. And then what happens is it stops and these people get out and they go to their community. It stops, they go to their community. It stops, they go to their community. And people don't know anything about other people. They don't know about, uh, you know, they think of Chinese people, they think of Chinese takeout. You know, um, you you think of Polish people, you think of kielbasing, you know. So related to food, but you don't know about the composers, the poetry. You don't even think that that these that other people have art or culture. You know, you just sort of um, reduce maybe. Yeah. And, and and the thing is that imagine if if everyone in every school there were exchange programs where you went to Vietnam and lived with a Vietnamese family. Now, when they and they say, Well we're going to war with Vietnam, you say, No, 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 you you're not uh, you may be going, but I'm not going. Those people are my friends. I lived in Syria. I know how they think. I lived in Iran, you know. I I I, I, I live with the families. And they don't want people to be together because it it, it, it sort of it it doesn't work with their agenda. That all people are related. You know, we, we come from the same gene pool, and, uh, and there's a commonality, is that we're, we're people. And, um, but somehow people who make money think they, they can't make money with people being together. But what they don't know is that, first of all, you don't need to make any more money. You made enough money for several lifetimes. You have umpteen amount of homes around the world. You have all these riches. You don't need any more. So when you start making more money than you need, then you, you engulf with a sickness. And they just want to make more money, more money, more money, more money. And um, it's really, uh, it'll take you over. And there's no logic system. You know, if you have like 10 kids, okay, you got to make money. So why do you have to make so much money? I got 10 kids. I got to feed them. I got to, you know, buy them clothes. But now you have enough money to, to, to feed 10,000 kids, and you have no kids. And that's what happens. You know, we really just get more, 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 and, um, and it just takes over your, your body. And then you start doing things and making money that are, are, that, that are wrong. You, you you begin to go over the the law of well, you know you of you know again we mentioned kicking people out of their houses foreclosing on mortgages you know uh, giving people you know sterilizing people with baby formulas and and and, and without telling them you know, or even like in the, in the past doing experiments with people with syphilis I mean giving the indigenous people blankets with smallpox. I mean, we've done all kinds of really out things, all because we we just don't see it. And when you can't see, you can't see. And immediately, if you run into someone that can't see, and then all of a sudden they can see, it's like, wow, I'm not going to do that anymore. I was, and they'll tell you in a second, you know, I, I'm, I was wrong. You know, I see the light now. Before, I wasn't seeing anything. And that's how it is. When you can't see, you can't see. You're really engulfed in, but then that's where the poetry comes in. That's where the art comes in. It Somehow, if you got a little cracks in your, in your system, a poem can go in there and widen that up 
and widen it up. You know, a piece of art can say, you can look at it and you can say, wow, that's, uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, things make sense that didn't make sense. And that's why music is. You know, that's why it's so important to, uh, to, to learn what music is, how it operates, how it fits into the universe. And the idea, if you, if you read the, uh, you know, Hazrat Enid Khan, which was our Bible when we were coming up, mm -hmm. as far as the uh, purpose of music and how music is defined, and uh, music is anything that's beautiful. And, um, and music sometimes is sound, but it's poetry, it's dance, it's a garden, it's, um, it's someone who has a great personality. I mean, when, when Don Sherry used to come around, and Don Sherry, you know, you, you'd be like, we'd be sitting on, out in the steps over here on Avenue B, and here comes Don Sherry roller skating down the block. <laughs> you know, with a propeller and a, you know, and then Don is sitting hang, hang with you for like three, four hours. Now, he didn't play any music, we just was talking. When I, you know, we were always talking about the Dalai Lama and talking about things like that. And at the end, it's like, wow, that's a good feeding. And then you, and then you walk down the block and you run into Jackie McLean, you know, in Gracian Moncourt. You always be running the musician. You go over to 11th Street and Avenue B, and there's Andrew Hill and Billy Higgins. So, I mean, that was our training ground coming up. Is It wasn't the university. It was the university of the streets. It was the musicians that fed you and um, clothed you and told you about how to get to the center of the music. I mean, I, I, I used to go to, when I ran, I mean, when I met Billy Higgins, I met Billy Higgins and Andrew Hill the same day. And I was playing a duo with Billy Higgins and then Andrew came in, we were playing over at 11th Street at the firehouse. And um, I used to go to Billy Higgins' house out in Brooklyn, St. Mark's, and like two, three times a week, the first time I went out there, I went into his basement there was a piano player, Chris Anderson was there, and Clifford Jordan was there, and Wilbur Weir was there. So I met three musicians in one, in one day, and then other times me and Billy would just play duets. Billy would play the guitar, he'd play the, he would play the, um, the bongos or the doombag. And so I really, that was, you know, that was, that was my jazz 101. And then I started studying with Wilbur Weir, and that was another experience. And then I studied with, with Milton and Jimmy Garrison and Art Davis and um, Charles Brackeen was another school study. Um, so every musician put their music together differently and that's how you learn that you could put music together so many different ways. When I played with Don Cherry, um, he never had a chart. He would always sing the parts and then you play them. When Cecil Taylor, he would dictate the parts to you. And um, and I remember Cecil, I uh, played with Cecil for about 11 years, 12 years. I met Cecil in 73 and played with him at Carnegie Hall. And that's when I met a lot of the musicians, Sonny Murray and Andrew Cirillo and Cerrone. And uh, David S. Ware was in that, in that concert. We played Rafael Malik. And... Um, so years afterwards, when we were playing, and uh, a musician told Cecil, um, Cecil, I don't know if I can play all of these notes. You know, I, I can't really hit those notes. And then Cecil told him, well, just play the ones you like. Hmm. And, um, and that's how it was, you know. So that's okay, the idea, okay, now you just play the ones you like and the ones that suited for you. So the idea of writing for the players. If somebody could play one sound that could change the world, you don't need any other sounds. Every time I play boom, whoo, yeah, it, the music went right up right. to the top. You know, the, the thermometer went right up, the mercury went right up. So, you know, so I, I've already got half the battle 
licked by just being able to play one or two things that just that that go there. And everybody's different. You know, some people um, play melodies so beautifully. Uh, you know, Johnny Hodges, and uh, and they don't need to play anything else. There's some people who can play very harmonically whatever that is changes and all that beautifully and extend off of that and then there are people who can play rhythmically in and out they just play rhythmically and what I found is that we're all from musical clans and I got this from studying in the 70s studying the Hopi Indians and they had clans like the Fox Clan, the Rabbit Clan, the Owl Clan, the Bear Clan, and they all had different ceremonies. And then I figured, well, you know, why does this guy play loud all the time when he plays the drums? 24-7 he plays loud. You could wake this guy up at 3 in the morning and say, get up, get up, get up, let's play. And he'll play loud. And then you said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. Why do you play so loud all the time? He said, well, I come from the loud clan. My grandmother played loud. My grandfather played loud. My father played loud. My brother played loud and my sister played loud. We play loud. Now, if you want someone that plays soft, hire that guy. He's from the soft clan. And then if you want somebody that can play loud and soft, then you hire that guy. You know, if you want somebody that can, that can keep time, then you, you know, hire that guy. And so everyone has got a, a place in the music. And like people say, well, you know, uh, man, I've been trying to play this bebop. I just can't play it. I don't hear it. So I, I, in order to get out to music school, I got to be able to play bebop. Well, you know something? Maybe you're not supposed to play bebop. Let's find out what you're supposed to play and see if you can play that for your recital to get out of this music school. And so everybody's supposed to be doing something except, and some of it is not even playing music. Some of it could be something else. So you have to find out what you're supposed to be doing and uh, and try to see if you can do it and, and whether you can make it resound when you play. So, uh, which gives a wide open space for everybody can be a musician Everybody can find out. If you find out that you don't want to be a musician, that could be music right there. You say, well, you know what I can do, though? I can build things. You know, I can build you anything you want. I can build a cabinet. I can build a chair. You know, I can build a house even. That's music. Because when you build a house, it sings. It's so beautiful. By this guy, you know, I can. I, I once was in Walderboro, Maine, and this guy named Doug, Dudley Rockwell was a was a boat builder, and they, and I had to borrow a bass, and I said, well, who can I borrow a bass from? He says Dudley made his own bass, and he made a bass out of cherry wood. That's the most beautiful bass I've ever seen, and it's beautiful, but I played it and have any sound, <laughs> and so. The idea, you know, is that he he could he could I'd say the bass could sail like a boat, but you know he he made it just looked beautiful. What he had to do was talk to a luthier and figure out how to work out the mechanics of science of how to get more sound out of it. That's what I told him. So he said he'll look into it because he was the kind of guy that could learn anything. You know, he just had to apply himself. He didn't think about it so much because he was sort of. Uh, Walderboro was the kind of place you order a book from the bookstore and it comes in the next week. And so all week you're waiting for that book. And then on Saturday you walk down to the bookstore and you get your book. And he played in the in the, like the Senior Citizens Band and they just played, you know, beautiful stuff. And uh, But it's hard to really get away from beauty in life. It's It's around us all the time. We just have to be able to to, to see it, you know, to, to, to not be stepping on flowers without knowing it and, uh, and be able to feel that when, when a kid is 12 years old, well, even before 12, and he says, 
or like eight, nine years old, says, well, I don't care whether I live or die because I'm going to get them before they get me. You know, I'm going to join the gang. And you say, like, how's a kid eight years old, nine years old, at nine years old, doesn't care whether he wants to live or die? And when you don't care whether you want to live or die, it's hard to reach people that way because they don't care. You know, they don't care. Well, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to, you know. And so how does that happen? Our society is something really off. But they can be brought back. They can be brought back. I mean, uh, you, could, you could be like on your edge about to and you jump and you hear, you know, Jimmy Lyons or something, you know, and then say, wow, what is that? And all of a sudden, like, pew, transformation takes place. I mean, that's how quick it, it is, especially when, you, when you're in, engulfed in the depths of, of uh, the dark, darkness, you know, immediately the light comes on, you can, you can, you can, you can see. And then you say, yeah, let me get out of here. And where's that music coming from? And uh, so it, it, it's really like great to, um, to be aware of these things and that they're interested in, in, um, in all kinds of people who play music and they're all kinds of musics. And um, we just have to keep um, exploring and learning and uh, and you learn when you you not even expected to learn. I mean, when I say learn, I don't mean sit down and study. Because you say, well, you know, I you take off playing for four days, and you say, I just want to take off for four days, and you, and the fifth day you pick up your instrument, you're playing something different, you're playing better. Say, well, wait a second, how did that happen? And meanwhile, your friend is over there; he's practicing all day and all night. And he sounds the same. And this is one of the mysteries. How can this guy, every time he picks up that instrument, he's playing something different, something new, something great. And this guy's practicing all the time. He's playing the same thing. And he doesn't even play that right. So what, what, what is that about? You know, I mean, that, you know, why does that happen? You know, and, and, um, because it's not so much about practicing or learning, it's about becoming. You see, because you can learn, you know, like, like birds just fly. So I, I, I learned how birds fly. And you get on top and you jump off. <laughs> you know, there's it, it, more to it than just learning things and trying to figure out, well, I got this scale and I have that scale and I have this and I have that. And, and that guy over there, he wouldn't know a scale if it hit him in the head. And he's just all over. Like, what is that about? How, how can that happen? So, so there's, there's these things that you have to figure out the balance of, of where, your, where your head is to, and your body and your spirit is to figuring out things. Because um, there are people who have been told that they have no musical aptitude, who are great musicians now today, and uh, and they've been discouraged. You say, "Oh, well, I don't think you're going to uh, make it in music because you don't, you know, you don't have this, you don't have that. You know, you'll never be this, you'll never be that." And that's like a bold statement to tell somebody what they're never going to be. You know, especially when you're young. And you say, "Well, I don't know what you're going to be, but..." I know you are. You don't have to be anything. You are something already. When you came out the womb, you were something. We just have to figure out, not let that be trained out of you. See, teachers are not supposed to take your natural inclinations and train them out of you because your natural inclination is the embryo of your originality. And so he said, "Well, you know, you're you're um, you're blinking your eyes wrong." William, and I don't like the way you put your right hand underneath your chin. That's wrong. You have to put it this way, and you have to do it this way. And so, like, we have to realize that Louis Armstrong, they say Louis Armstrong played the trumpet wrong. Louis Armstrong influenced all of music. Okay. Uh, and that Dizzy Gillespie, okay, he puffed, but who could play like Dizzy Gillespie? Okay. Um, so, Rules 
are put in place. Why are rules put in place? You know, the, you look at the William Russo book of arranging, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You look at the Jamie Eversall book, don't do this. Don't play too many flatted fifths. Don't play this, don't play that. Don't put too much emotion in your solo. Don't do this, don't do that. And if you add up all those don'ts, you wouldn't have any music. You know, I mean, like John Coltrane broke all those rules. You know, you know. Well, Albert Eiley broke all those rules. You know, he plays wrong. He all these guys play wrong. But you know, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be. <laughs> you know, that that's that kind of logic. Is that who makes these rules and why do they make them? Why would you want to make? You know, like um, why would you want to make? I mean, I can. There's some technical things. You know, you you, blow, you you if you want to have longevity like Clark Cherry did on the trumpet, you have to have no pressure technique, and you have to blow. But sometimes it's not about longevity. Sometimes it's about playing when you have to play, and making your statement, and not about longevity. You know, living to living living a long life is nice, but uh, maybe that's not what it's about. It's about what you do, however long you live in the life, not how long you live the life and don't do anything. You know what I mean? It's, uh, well, I'm, I'm 99 years old. Uh, I haven't done anything. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I've been, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm 99 years old, but what have you done? You know, uh, well, I'm 99 years old. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So, um, is it, well, this guy's, he, he's 20, he died when he was 25. He did more than you done in, in, when you lived to be 99. So it's, it's not to measure things, but it's, again, it's like to try to figure out, to, to not be cut short by being put in an institution that tells you right from wrong in music and in other things, you know, um, in poetry, and that you can invent things, you can break rules, and because uh, that's how art is, and uh, and that's how um, creativity is. You know, when you you discover things, not so much create things, but as discover things, and when you discover things, you know, you, you it shows you a different path, a different way of doing things. So I mean, a lot of what you're saying, you know, uh, it seems like there's this one stream of 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 creating music where it's coming from the individual you know and and everybody's got their own sound and they're fine you know and and duke ellington has bubber miley in the band so he's taking that sound and, and using that tone and you know I'm, and then and then there's people going through the institution where you know every single string player should sound like you know whoever whoever's on the record, it's like Perlman or something like that. Like, for you personally, was there a, like a process of this kind of decolonization? Because, I mean, if, if you go through the system, these ideas are, are implanted. Yes. Well, I didn't go through the system, so I was lucky. I, I didn't, and... Um... But even being born here, I mean, yeah. just reading the newspaper, well, you're you're in the system. Yes, you're you're in, you're in that system. Um, well, when I was um, six or seven years old, every night my father would come home and play Duke Ellington, Dominu, Indo, and Crescendo in Blue. Oh wow, the Newport. Yeah, and so me and my brother would sit there. We have dance contests, dancing to Paul Gonzalez's <laughs> solo. So. Seven days, six days a week, we'd listen to Ellington, and and on Saturday, all day long music. That was creating a barrier against this indoctrination, and uh, I was lucky that way. You know, it was my father's dream. When I was eight years old, he bought me uh, eight, nine years old. I got a trumpet, so I was studying trumpet. And it was his dream that me and my brother play for the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Duke Ellington was his idol. And uh, he had a couple, of, a couple of people he really dug, Geronimo and Duke Ellington. And that's all he would talk about. 
and um, Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster, Don Bias, uh, Illinois Jacquette, uh, Willis Jackson, Gene Ammons, he's big on tenor saxophone, Roy Eldridge, and um, so oh, I was around by all this music, so that created some antibodies mm. against this, and I was just very, very lucky. I mean, um, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, my teacher was a communist, and we were reading the New Communist Manifesto, and Mr. Hoffman was his name. I don't sure he's not around now, but he introduced us to philosophy, to Aristotle, to uh, Socrates, Plato, and I really got into philosophy. And then from there, uh, when I was in high school, uh, was studying uh, Thomas Dewey, uh, was Samuel Beckett. And so Harold Pinter, because I was getting into independent cinema and cinema and play playwriting, so I I I, I was really blessed that uh, I always was in an alternative situation, even within a situation that was not an alternative, because uh, I went to school uh, schools in the South Bronx, junior high school. 55 in Taft High School, and they were basically very traditional, but I always would run into, I mean, I had this teacher named Vincent Vassallo, who was supposed to be the Spanish teacher, so he comes in and uh, he writes on the board, military industrial complex. <laughs> now he's supposed to be teaching Spanish, but he saw a text on us about that. And, and so he became a friend. You know, so I would I would go to his house and he and and he have like certain students would go to his house who were thinking in a different way, and I was and and wasn't like you know I mean because I could have gone so much to go to the left to right to get off track in um, you know upliving where I lived, but I was just I would just look it was it was just blessed. Everybody I ran into was someone who had an alternative view and would open my head up to to different things. And uh, so uh, you can call it guardian angels, but or it was like I was on this path and, um, and a path I hadn't chosen, a path I ended up on and, um, and the idea, okay, my first record with the Little Huey Creative Music Orchestra orchestra was Flowers Grow in My Room. And the idea was that, is that I woke up one morning and there were these flowers on my windowsill. And I was asked to care for those flowers, to water them and take care of them. I, you know, I didn't ask for this. And, but it was my assignment to do this. Then I had a dream about 10 years ago and, uh, I never take a nap, but took a nap on the couch, and I had a dream that each musician is assigned a certain number of people they're supposed to reach in life. Because I often wondered that, okay, this guy's doing concerts, and like three people show up, four people show up, five people show up. This guy, other guy's going to Europe, and he's playing for thousands of people. And that, well, that we each have certain people we're supposed to reach and we don't know how many people that is. It could be one. I could have already reached the person I was supposed to reach. It could be just one person. But that night when there was nobody there, and instead of canceling the concert, I played for one person or two people. And we played like it was, we were at Carnegie Hall for, on a snowy night for two people. Maybe one of those people was one of the people I was supposed to reach. I don't know. Because you never know. They never come up to you. Every once in a while, like you'll be riding on the subway and someone will tap you on the shoulder and they'll say, are you William Parker? I say, yeah. He said, well, you came to my high school like 25 years ago. Man, you changed my life and blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> right on. You know, but, but, but you know, that's, okay. Uh, who, you know, I, I'm not even concerned with that, but 
you just keep doing it. You keep playing. You keep doing it like your life depended on it. You keep moving. You keep following things until you can't do it anymore. And yeah, so you got this uh, amazing concert coming up with uh, Sunra Orchestra doing the music of Curtis Mayfield. And uh, I, I recently spoke with uh, Noel Scott, mm. and um, a member of, of Sunra Orchestra. And he, he said something so profound that I, I, every day I try to come to terms with it. Because, uh, you know, as we started speaking with about somehow capitalism and music is a tough mix you know it's it's almost like uh there's this line from groucho marx he says you know military music is to music what military justice is to justice you know it's somehow <laughs> uh and he said that sun Ra said if i try to make money with my music they'll block me but they can't stop me from losing money and that turning of things on their head uh, seemed to be uh, somehow part, part of the whole, part of the message of, of, of Sun Ra and the orchestra. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to get your reflections on that, that kind of. Well, actually, did, you must have interacted with Sun Ra, right? He was an East Village guy. Were you? Well, here and there, he, uh -huh. he came. He was playing at the, at the Third World Cultural Center in the Bronx, and that's where, that's where I met Marshall Allen and John Gilmore and and and, and Sun Ra. Also, see him on the road. Uh, he knocked on my door once, looking for Cecil Taylor, and said he had some some music for him. And he said, "Well, he should play this." I'll, and I said, I don't know which room he's in, but you know. He says, yeah. And he said, Well, where's Jimmy Lyons? I said, Well, he's he's in the hotel too. He said, Well, I got some music for him too. But uh, I think that Sun Ra really was one of the great philosophers of our time, and um, and he should go down as not just a musician, a band organizer, but a great philosopher. And uh, and what he, you know, some of the things he said, in fact, all the things he said ring true in the sense that, well, okay, um, we've tried the known and it doesn't work. So all we can do is try the unknown. Because obviously, if you follow history, the known has failed us miserably. So... Uh, but the unknown is still there's still hope in the unknown, and that's kind of his 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 a lot of his philosophies are like that, and uh, the thing okay well, they will stop us from making uh, money with the way things are set up, but they can't stop us from not making money. They can't stop us from reaching the people, and so the idea is that okay. How do you reach people when there's no audience? He said, well, you reach people through vibrations. And, okay, well, you're playing your instrument every morning. There's nobody listening. So, and you don't even do concerts. You don't play publicly. So how is your music reaching people? Because I believe it is. And that every time we do something positive in the world, it helps balance the world. And you know this if you ever go into like a um, a dark place where people are doing some dark things and you can feel a vibration there. You say, oh, like you walk in the wrong bar or the wrong room. So, oh, let me get the heck out of here because this place is, whoa. It's not, it's like there's something crazy going on here. And uh, you can feel it. And when people are doing good things, you can feel it. Oh, it's a nice vibe here. Let me stay here. So all you have is what you believe in. Because uh, the thing is, you, you, 
uh, yeah, that's that's all you have. I mean, when you have nothing else, you believe in you know things that are unbelievable. You know that that every time I'm playing a note, some kid in India that's starving on the street is being uplifted from that sound. You know that's the imagery, and that um, it has a purpose. You know when when you when when no one's listening, it's going in the earth. The earth has big ears, and so it goes in the earth, and it's flowing out, and people feel it. And there are enough people around the world who are playing music this very second, who are helping the poor, who are um, thinking beautiful thoughts and writing the truth in words, painting beautiful paintings. That that. That said, why do I feel so good this morning? Because of that. It's all an extension of of the of the 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 universe and nature. You know, it's all an extension. All of these things. So I think that um, you have to have a philosophy that will keep. If you have a philosophy that's a dead end, then it just won't work for you. And uh, what I mean by dead end philosophy is a philosophy. <laughs> Where uh, you you it has to have a result. Where the result is is sort of, well, if we do this, this will happen. It's like more like if we do this, this will happen, but I can't prove it. I have to believe that it's going to happen. Because that's all I have is is to believe in in you know, in something and in, into through dreams and visions, uh, these things will, uh, will happen. Because, um, like, the, there's magic. You know, the idea, okay, the, um, the, the statement is that the, the, uh, the highest form of, of magic is the illogical. The lowest form of magic is illogical. So we have to go with the it, it what's illogical, because logic is 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 all you really can depend on, because logic is yeah you know you you put money in the bank and you get interest, you know you you these people are living over here okay we're gonna just take the oil and now we're millionaires that's logic, you know, but what about saying okay these people are living over here leave them alone. <laughs> Go over there and say, you know, you got oil in your land. You all should be millionaires, not not these guys, you know. So, uh, and then when you become a millionaire, this is what you're supposed to do with the money. You're supposed to go someplace else where they're not millionaires. And you're supposed to help them develop their country. And you say, well, well, wait a second. Now, these people have rich soil. They 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 used to have clean waters. Why are the waterways dirty? Let's, you know, I mean, it, it's like these the answers to these problems are so simple. And, and just that, you know, greed and 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 the severe capitalism and, and not caring about each other has really just messed up the planet. That's all it's about. And um, if everybody had a, a little bamboo flute and they got up in the morning and played it, whew, world changed like that. You know, imagine like, uh, and you, well, you probably can't imagine this, but like Donald Trump, Taking it, playing a bamboo flute in the morning. <laughs> you know, speaking of Donald Trump, you had it was almost prophetic. I don't know if you even realized this, but there's something uh, you wrote in the book in 1998, and in the same sentence you said, "George Bush and Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump could never understand this," or something like that. What What was your intuition back then to lump all these guys? In the same, uh, in the same category. Well, Ronald Reagan was the worst. Well, was the beginning of the terrible, terrible presidents. When he was, when he was governor. He cut anybody. Check with anybody who lived in California, not businessmen. He cut every service that had to do with human beings. He cut it. And he's the one that said, uh, you know, companies have the same rights as human beings. And that was the beginning where 
the 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 you know the NRA and all these companies began to just exert their power. You know, you check out the Bush crime family, and um, you know Prescott Bush. I mean, when he was in college, they dug up Geronimo's bones in Oklahoma, and they wouldn't give them back. You know, I mean, they, 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 and you can just list all the things that, you know, the oil, the stealing, the, the, the cheating. And then Trump, the same way. I mean, I never did like Donald Trump when he was in New York. He had a, he, you know, the thing he did with the Central Park Five, Right. You know, that ad he took out in the New York Times, and you go on and on. And on. Everything he's done has been a failure, and he's just not a, uh, he's just not, he's not firing on all cylinders. <laughs> you know, he's got eight cylinders, and not one of them is firing. You know, it's just like, the starter doesn't work. It just does you know, it just doesn't click in, you know. So how he became president, you know, it's a, long, it's a long story. All right. Well, I don't want to end on that note. We don't. So, so. <laughs> but you know, um, let me just clarify. So, Sun Ra Orchestra, led by Marshall Allen, and then William Parker. Well, actually, we begin the, the, the evening. William Parker, uh, the inside songs of K- the inside, inside the songs of Curtis Mayfield, and uh, just to say. Two seconds about that project. That is a project we've uh, been doing. It started about ten years ago. Recorded the recording in uh, in Paris and New York, and uh, it's where Curtis Mayfield had passed away. And I liked his music, and the idea was to play to extend upon the sentiment of his songs using. Uh, commissioning a Mary Baraka who's now left us to write the words that Curtis didn't write because Curtis died and uh, so there are extensions upon you know people get ready this is my country um, move on up all his songs and uh, we sort of go inside and I write these interludes and so it's a combination of funk free jazz R&B and uh, with a new poet, Thomas Sayers Ellis, and uh, Lena Conquest doing vocals, and we have backup singers, and we have a large ensemble, about seven horns, two pianos. Cooper Moore and Dave Burrell will be playing piano, electric piano, replacing the guitar and acoustic piano. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that album, and I think that. Um... It's very interesting for me to see how when musicians who uh, explore the genre that gets defined as free music or something, when they touch on the uh, into the realms of gospel and these kind of other genres, you, you see that that connection that 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 f- how how closely they're they're related. Well, they're very related. I mean, if you go into um, the church and people go into what we call the Holy Ghost and they start, you know, clapping and they get the spirit, which is connected to the Santeria. You know, if you go to Haiti and places like that and, and people are getting possessed. So it's really losing yourself in the music where you don't really care about being proper. Uh, Jimmy Lyons no, Steve McCall, the drummer, told me Charlie Parker played for his high school graduation, and he said Bird was had like was drooling when he played the saxophone. He wasn't clean, you know. He was playing so much, and so it's like, well, you don't care what you look like. You don't care what's going. You you're into the music, and it always happens. It happens in all music if people would let it happen. They don't try to control it. But uh, because it's 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 almost like when music we say music is this constant flowing river that never stops and we jump into it and swim in it while we're playing and then we stop and get out the music continues. But the idea that this is um, happening all the time and it's just if we let ourselves go, 
then we can go. But if but if you sort of train like this from here to here is music and from here to here is music, you can't go out this box because if you go outside that box, that's not where mu- we can't control it then because then anything can happen. We're in the unknown territory and we can't, we don't want to go in the unknown. We're only comfortable about what we know. If you start saying, well, uh, well, what key is it in? And say, well, we're not really playing in a key. Uh, well, what does that mean? You know, or things like, well, you know, we're not playing any chord changes. Well, how are you going to play music without chord changes? I said, all over the world they play music without chord changes. There's more people in the world right now playing without chord changes than they are playing with chord changes. So it's, it's again, again, a, a big worldview, and that's Sun Ra, and, and Sun Ra, and Marshall, 95 years old right now, Marshall Allen, he's still going, and they invest, you know, Sun Ra would investigate everything. I mean, this, uh, you, uh, you go to one of their rehearsals. Oops, just died. Okay, all right. So maybe that's our... That's it. All right. Well, that was fun. Thank you so for your, your time. Eye, your eyes all right? Yeah. No, I was so moved. That's why. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Excuse oh. me, sir. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't help myself. I was like, oh. Oh, okay. I thought you had an allergy or something. <laughs> you were learning to fly. Oh, dude.